Uh, you know, if you've been coming to uh, Winston at service for the past month, month and a half, I would imagine you have seen a trend uh, that I've also noticed. And, and that is a, a trend of really valuing the Word of God. Right? The, over the last couple of months, we've had services where, uh, where we've read an entire book of the Bible. We went through the book of Colossians, and that was cool. Uh, we've had a service where, uh, where we took pieces of Scripture and, and integrated it into the worship time, and, and it was powerful. And, and we've looked through the book of Psalms to see what it, what it has to say to us about how we should live. And, and then something really crazy happened. Uh, Pastor Chuck tried the impossible. He decided he was going to preach the entire book of Nehemiah in one night. Quite a lot. In fact, I would imagine it was probably easier for Nehemiah to gather the people together, build the wall, do the whole thing, get Jerusalem back on its feet, than it was to figure out how to preach the entire book of Nehemiah in one night. But somehow it happened. And so uh, we've seen sort of again and again and again these, these moments where we just value the Word of God. And so tonight, when I was given the opportunity to share, I figured let's let's continue that theme. Let's uh, let's take the word of God and really sort of just dig into it. And um, and I was a little bit inspired by by all the things that we've done. We've looked at books that that inspire us to worship, and 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 we spent time in the book of Colossians. And so I thought maybe maybe there's a book of the Bible that was uh, that thematically deals with some things similar to Colossians. And, 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 and then I thought about Pastor Chuck and how he took a whole book of the Bible and preached that entire thing. And I thought, well, maybe I could preach an entire book of the Bible. And so go ahead and open up to Genesis. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, but I did think it, thought, thought it would be fun to, uh, to delve into the Word of God a little bit tonight. Um, and so we're going to do just that. Um, Tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of a book that, that doesn't get a lot of pulpit time. It's not an especially popular one. In fact, if you compared, like, number of sermons preached out of this book of the Bible versus, like, some crazy Old Testament book, like, I don't know, like Obadiah, right? Who is that? Half of you guys are like, did he make that up? You check in your Bible. It's there, I promise. Okay, uh, the, the Obadiah would probably win. Okay, this isn't an especially popular book of the Bible, but it's one I've always been really fascinated with. And so I wanted to take the opportunity tonight to, to really dig into what this book does and to see if we can't pull out some application uh, that's going to help our lives as well. And so um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, look at one of Paul's epistles tonight. And it's, um, it's a real little one. In fact, I would say if, if Paul were to be translated to the modern day and he were to rewrite this epistle, it wouldn't really be a book. It probably wouldn't even make email, right? This is probably like, like Twitter length, okay? And so um, you thought I was joking, but we are in fact going to look at an entire book of the Bible tonight. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. If you haven't figured out from all of these clues where we're going to be yet, I won't lead you wrong this time. You can open your Bible with me to the book of Philemon. 
All right, if, uh, if you just thought that I didn't name a book of a Bible, but that I named a Pokemon, right, Philemon, I choose you, then this might help you out. Philemon's a real short book written by Paul. It was, a, it was a letter that he wrote, and you'll find it just before the book of Hebrews. It's about three quarters of the way through the New Testament. So uh, pull out your Bible, turn there, pull out your phone and turn there, don't text message, whatever, just get on the same page, which is really all we'll need because it's less than a page long. Let's get into it. Uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and just go through the whole book real quick so that you get an idea of the sense of, of what Paul is writing about. And then I want to go through and grab a couple of real key verses, just looking, uh, looking verse by verse and seeing if we can't pull some great application for our lives out of this book as well. Uh, but let's pray for our time before we do that. So if you'd bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and let's, let's honor God as we talk to him. Um, God, thanks so much for your word. Thanks that you've packed it full of good truth with lots of value for us. And, and even the parts that we sometimes overlook. God thinks that there's, there's so much there that we can take and, and hold up as an example and compare ourselves to. And Tonight, would you do that? Would you not just let our time be academic, though we will be learning quite a bit tonight, but, but would you help it to be personal and would you help us to apply what we hear? to our lives. God, we do it to honor you tonight and ask that you would be with us. Pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a short enough book that I do have the liberty before we even jump into talking about it to just go through the book together and uh, make sure that we're all understanding the story the same. So follow along with me and we're going to read through the book of Philemon. Uh, I'll be reading out of the NIV, but read from what you will. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Good, so we've gotten through this entire letter, and there was a lot there. In fact, Paul communicates some very uh, heavy ideas in a, in, a, in a very little amount of time. And so, if you didn't follow the gist of what's going on, let me fill you in. Paul has found himself in prison. He is, uh, uh, he is in chains for preaching about Christ. And he meets someone. There's someone, their name is Onesimus. And, and they are a slave. Their job, their, their position in life... Is, is to serve someone else. And, and yet they're not doing that. We, we find them where Paul is, probably in Rome at this time, though there were a number of times that Paul was in prison, and so we can't be sure. And, um, and, and during this time, apparently, Onesimus comes to know who Christ is. He becomes converted, and he begins to help Paul while he's in prison. However, Paul, being who Paul is, realizes that, uh, that this guy is not doing what he is supposed to be doing. Legally, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing on a number of fronts. And so, he decides he's going to intercede. And so, the entire letter of Philemon is, is a letter from Paul... To the, the owner of Onesimus, who just happens to be an acquaintance of Paul's. In fact, someone who uh, also came to know who Christ was through Paul's ministry. And, and so, we see the purpose of this letter is to, um, is to intercede for Philemon and to see if he can't be restored to his former position. I don't know about you, but that's a little troubling to me. Why in the world would Paul go to all of these lengths to see someone who was a slave and left that life? Presumably he ran away. We don't know exactly what circumstances were there. But, but, but presumably he, he ran away and he was not doing what he was supposed to do. And, and now Paul says, go back. And I don't know about you, but... That bothers me a little, right? And this is some of the reason that I, that I think we don't necessarily hear a lot about the book of Philemon because it, it's kind of difficult to handle. What's this you say? Go back to being a slave. But Paul's got good reason for what he does and, uh, and we're going to take a look at it. Let's just go through some of the scripture real quick and see if we can't pull out some truth that's going to help us understand what's going on here. 
Uh, in verse 1, it starts, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, this is significant in that uh, in, in many of other Paul's greetings, he introduces himself, but never as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, on a practical level, that's because at the moment, he is. However, we'll find that throughout this book, he uses the position he's in. A position that you could argue is even lower on the social ladder, even than being a slave. Right? You got like, your normal people, your slaves, everybody in prison, and then like dead people. Right? Paul was like... He was at the bottom, right? It doesn't get much further than being in prison. And so, and so I think he points this out for good purpose throughout this letter. And you'll find that everything Paul writes, he writes very intentionally. Uh, and, and, and it's kind of fascinating to watch. And So he points out that he's, that he's in prison for Christ's sake. And then he goes on to make his, his, uh, his appropriate greetings to, uh, to Philemon and to his wife and to uh, the church that they're involved in. And, then he moves in, in typical Pauline fashion, to, to praying for the people who he's writing to. He keeps it short and sweet in this case because he's got a point that he wants to make. And, and I think he is uh, in no mood to mince words, as we find throughout the length of this whole epistle. And, and, and he goes through this whole section where he thanks God and, and points out that he remembers him, them in our prayers but then he says something that becomes very significant as we go later on into this, this book. He says, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Early on in this passage, he starts letting love be the motivation for what's going on. He, he reminds Philemon that, that, that he has practiced love, that he has shown love to other people. And, and you'll find that that love that Philemon has experienced in the past and shown to others, Paul's going to turn around and expect him to practice that same love once again. So once again, Paul's being very intentional in what he writes. And, and he goes on uh, to, to say not only has he heard about their faith in the Lord and, and, and Philemon's love for the saints, but then he gets to a verse that says this. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you may, uh, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, now this is sort of a difficult verse. Uh, just, I don't know this. People who understand the uh, the Bible quite better than me, tell me this is a difficult verse to really understand what it's trying to say. And and I kind of wish that this was really right. Because this would preach, man, listen to this. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have an understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And, and there's some truth to that idea that, that as we share our faith, we get to know Christ better. But that's not really the idea that's trying to be presented here. In fact, it becomes a little bit more accurate if you sort of invert it. That, um, that, that as we understand the good things about Christ... We cannot help then but to share that with others or, or, to, or to have fellowship in that is really the idea here. Uh, the NASB says it, I think, a lot better, but it sounds way more confusing. It says this, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective 
through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. You say that was a lot of words. Here's basically what he's saying, right? You know what Christ has done for you. And because of that, you should do that same thing for others. I think you're probably beginning to see this this logical argument that, that Paul's building where he says, you've loved other people and gotten credit for it and you've... You've seen that because of what Christ has done for you, you should love other people. And and in a second, Paul's going to tell him what that means. He goes on and says that, that your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the heart of the saints. Once again, he reminds Philemon, man, you've been so good about serving other people. That's awesome. Here's a great sort of free piece of wisdom that we can pull both from this and, and I think from our life experience as well. If you're going to ask someone for something difficult, all right, it's a good idea to tell them something nice first. All right? I promise it makes it so much easier, right? Like, buy your mom flowers and then ask to borrow the car. It's always nice to, uh, to sort of set the stage in a positive tone. And that's what Paul's doing. He... Um, He's reminding Philemon of what he's done in the past. But then he moves on to begin to, uh, to really get to the point uh, of his letter. To really begin to, to share with Philemon why he's writing. And he, and he says this, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. There's that word again. I then, as Paul an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now check it out. Here's here's what Paul does. Instead of coming to Philemon and saying, hey man, you know what? I'm the apostle Paul, right? I'm the big cheese around here. Right? You've heard all the awesome stuff I've done. Now do what I say. Right? He doesn't do that. Instead, he does what seems kind of contrary to us and, and I think goes against what a lot of us expect our leaders to do. And, 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 and he humbles himself even further. He says, you know what? You know what, Philemon? I could, I could talk to you as Paul the Apostle, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I just want to talk to you as an old man who's sitting in prison. He goes from being what could be the number one authority that this guy should listen to and tries once again to make himself nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but when when I'm trying to make an argument, I want people to believe that that what I'm saying is there for a reason. right? I don't know that I'm very tempted to say, "Ah, I'm not worth listening to. But Paul's got a reason for it, and we'll continue to see that as, as this letter evolves. And he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now I think I would get along really well with Paul because both in this book and a lot of the others, he, he, he does stuff like what I'm about to tell you, right? He, uh, he does things like he takes Onesimus whose name means useful, right? And he makes a big joke out of it, basically, right? He says, oh, this guy who you used to not think was very important and was useless, 
right now he's useful and it's Onesimus. And I love puns and that's the closest you probably hear about in the Bible. And so I get really excited when, when Paul does stuff like this. But again, you see that Paul is not wasting a single word in trying to get his point across. That's important because, because it shows us how important this letter is to Paul. And we can't understand how we can take what Paul teaches uh, and what he asks of Philemon and apply it to our lives if we don't understand just how committed to this cause he was. He was committed to the point of making every word that he wrote count. And so, and so he, he as of yet hasn't told Philemon what he wants to, to do. He hasn't asked the big question, but he's, he's setting the groundwork, right? He, he's made himself less. He's established that Philemon has done things in love. And, and now, he, um, now he says that Onesimus has become his son. It's a reference to the fact that he's been converted. That he's now following Christ because of Paul's ministry. And, um, and, and, and that uh, what was once useless has now become useful. And he does it a little tongue-in-cheek. Which makes me happy. He goes on to say, Hey, finally, man, I'm sending him back to you. Although he adds a couple words in there that give us again some great insight. He says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Paul cared about this guy. He had become so important to him. And, and, and we see this passion throughout the rest of this letter. He goes on to say, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in, in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. Right, Onesimus had already shown that he was useful as, as he'd gotten to know Paul. And, and Paul was like, let's keep this guy around. Right, he's a, he's a good guy. But, and we'll continue reading, verse 14 says, But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Then he goes on to give a kind of neat thought. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Notice he still hasn't gotten to the point. Right? He hasn't asked Philemon to do anything yet. All he's done is remind Philemon of what an awesome guy he is. Remind him uh, that, that, that Paul is, you know, not actually asking him anything with any sort of authority, but, but just as a guy who, uh, who cares about Onesimus. Says, you know what, Onesimus is, has become kind of useful to me. And, and then he starts to make the picture a little better. He says, you know, what if, what if this whole situation was, was for a bigger reason? Right? He begins to build his argument a little more and a little more. And again, we can see Paul being so, so tactful, so diplomatic, so careful in what he's doing. Because he's so passionate about what he's trying to accomplish. And he goes on to say that perhaps the reason he was separated from you was that he might no longer be a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. At this point, he's, he's prepped his argument, right? He's made his ground uh, ready to ask Philemon 
the big question, and here it is. He says, so if you consider me a partner, not someone better, not someone worse, if you consider me someone who is working with you in spreading the gospel, if you have any consideration for me at all, welcome him as you would welcome me. That is to say, I, Paul, hi, I'm not a slave. Right? Welcome me back. Now, there's no direct implication here throughout the rest of the, of the text that he's even really asking Philemon to, uh, to set Onesimus free. But he's simply saying, welcome him fully like you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Now, you've got to understand that, that, that in this culture... Right, if you're a slave and you leave, even if you're one of the better slaves who didn't steal a bunch of stuff on his way out, which most of them did, right, that's what they say, uh, that all of that time that you're not working, if you get caught and, and sent back to your master, you are then in debt to them, not only your initial slavery, but all of that time on top of it. Right, it's not a pretty thing. It's like, I don't know what it's like. It doesn't even make any sense. How you can owe more than yourself. But that's how, that's how serious this was. And yet, within that, Paul says, if he's done anything that he would owe for, charge it to me. Now we may say, ah, oh, it's just a figure of speech, right? That's, Paul doesn't really mean that. And yes, on some level he's speaking spiritually. Yes, I am your spiritual leader, and, and just as we've been forgiven, so you should forgive this guy and just you know charge it to heaven. But on a practical level, if you look at how this letter is written, it actually follows the form of writing that in those times would be a binding contract. Right? He actually sends them a receipt that says, you know what, everything that this guy owes you Change it to my name as well. And then he goes on to make it official. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Right here it starts to get a little more serious. Right? He reminds Philemon, you know what? Just like Onesimus was, 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 a, was dead in his sins, and I shared the gospel with him, you were once too. And I did the same thing. Paul's argument's starting to get a little bit clear. He's, he's saying, bring him back, welcome him back, cancel his debts, and don't forget that even you owe me your very self. And then he goes on. He says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Those words may sound familiar. It's because he's... Rem- Quoting himself here. If you look back just a couple of verses at verse 7. He says, oh the reason Philemon that you're so awesome. The reason I get so much joy out of knowing you. Is because in the past you've refreshed the saints. And now he uses exactly those same words to say. Hey Philemon why don't you do what you've done before. And why don't you refresh my spirit. By letting Onesimus come back. You can see again that Paul has been intentional in everything that he does to get his point across. He 
goes on to say, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Now, we don't necessarily know what that even more that Paul is referring to is. Some think he is implying that he should set Onesimus free and, 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 and give him his freedom and his liberty and, and let him go on his way. Some think it's Paul's request to simply send him back to Paul so that he may work with him and work together. But either way, Paul is saying, you know what? It's not good enough just that you welcome this guy back. I expect even more. So Paul has, has changed modes. He's gone from this tactful, sort of diplomatic, you know, you know, hey, Philemon, you're a pretty awesome guy. Remember all that cool stuff you've done? Right? To this general sort of, you know, we really ought to be loving each other. And now he puts a face on it and he says, Philemon, if what you've done in the past means anything, you'll take this man, who's a slave, and take him back and you'll treat him Not as a slave, but as a brother. Then he finishes up, and he says, One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. One of the cool things I love about Paul is that that faith for him isn't just like, it's not like just this thing out here, right? It's, it's, It's part of his life. And so when a church prays for him to be set free from prison so that he can go see them, He expects it to happen. Enough so that he says, you know what, go ahead and and make a guest room for me. I think that's pretty neat, right? This this letter gives us some great insight into who Paul really is. And then he finishes out the letter. He says, hey, some of these other guys with me, they say, hey, and uh, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Right? He wraps it all up nice and tidy like he always does. And that's that. And you say, okay, well, great. What in the world does that mean for us? <laughs> right? It's really cool that Paul cared enough about this guy who had become a believer that he would, that he would intercede on his behalf and, and, and try and set things right. But, but what in the world does that mean for us? I think there's a couple of things that we can take from this, that are, that are very valuable truths. Things that we can take and that we can apply to our life and that they can help us when we, uh, when we face some difficult decisions or, or when we're trying to get someone to, uh, to do something that otherwise they may not have done. And that's this. The first thing that we see is that Paul has a very unique take on how to influence culture. Right? Notice, throughout this whole book, he doesn't say, you know what, I met this guy named Onesimus, and he was a slave. And well, we know because of who Christ is that, that, that really slavery is kind of crazy because we're all equal. Right? He's written in past books, there's, there's no difference between someone who's a slave and someone who's not. That there's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. Paul understands that everyone has value. Right? But here's what Paul doesn't do that, that I think bothers us a little because we expect it. Paul doesn't do this. He doesn't say, Philemon, you've made me realize that slavery is a problem in the Roman Empire. So we're going to overthrow the Roman Empire 
and set all the slaves free. He doesn't do it. And, and, and then that bugs me a little bit until I think about who Paul is and what he's been asked to do. And I think it means something very important for us, and that is this. Paul's calling was not to change the social fabric of the world. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with some of those things happening. There's nothing wrong with, with society becoming a better place, right? It's great that, that we don't have slaves today. It's awesome. Paul would agree with me. But that was not Paul's job. Paul's main concern was that the gospel of Christ would find an individual and that it would change them. And that that person, in reacting to who Christ was, would make decisions that then would begin to affect the world around them. You say, so what? As Christians, sometimes today we think our, our job is to go out and like get out the pitchfork right, and fix our world. And we forget who Christ is. And, and we pick whatever our thing is that's so important to us. And we go out there and we, and we hold up signs or we, or we go on TV or we say, let's, you know, whatever. Let's vote in somebody new for now. Don't get me wrong. We should be absolutely interested in, in, in our culture and our society being healthy and, and, and doing things that honor God. But that is not what we're called to do. We are called primarily to worry about the life and the soul of individual people and to see that them encounter God and to make sure we ourselves are reacting in love and in all of the things that Philemon has been challenged to do in this verse. So Paul understood that he could have an influence on culture, but that that was not his primary responsibility, that letting the gospel do what it is designed to do will have that result on its own. Sometimes as Christians, we put the, the proverbial cart like right on the horse and kill it, right? And it's no longer about Christ, but it's about, hurrah! We've got to remember our goal is to honor God. And, and not only did he tell us a little bit about how we should influence, uh, influence culture, but this, this book and Paul's example also gives us a little bit of insight into how we should interact with each other. As leaders, as those who are in your life and in your sphere of influence, how we should take things that we know they need to do differently and lead them into that. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times throughout the Bible where Paul said, you are doing something wrong. Stop it. All right? I'm not saying there's not time for that. All right? There's plenty of time where he, where he saw someone in the church who was, who was doing something blatantly sinful or who was you know, disregarding a truth, and he would simply say, you're wrong. Fix it. But there are times when we, as people, need to do what Paul did. And instead of 
looking for authority or lording ourselves over people or saying, you know what, because of, of who I am, you better listen to me. Right? We've got to learn to, to do what Paul did and to say, you know what, we aren't really anything. However, here's a truth. Follow that. We've got to learn the difference between expecting people to do what we do because of who we are and expect them to follow an idea or a principle that is right or that is godly because of what that principle is all about. In this case, throughout the book of Philemon, he says, love, 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 love. And then he says, if you love, then you'll bring Philemon back into right fellowship with you. It's not because I'm Paul. Right? It's not because I've done all this awesome stuff and planted church. No. And, and you will find that if you follow this principle of letting truth and ideas be what guides your leadership and your influence of others in your sphere of influence, you're going to be so much more effective than if you simply expect people to follow you because of who you are. So we see from, from, from this book an awesome example of how we, should, how we should influence culture by injecting the gospel into it, and we see as well how we should influence those in our lives by pointing them to that same truth the gospel, let's take it one step further. It not only affects how we influence others, it not only affects how we, how we influence our circle, but it should influence how we live. I think this is my favorite thing about this entire book, is that it gives us such a glimpse into Paul's heart. Right? Remember, Paul is the guy who had so much confidence that he could look at other people and say, you know what, follow me just as I follow Christ. Right? That's a pretty big claim. I, th- I think if anybody told me that, I'd probably be like, eh, how about I just follow Christ? Right? But, but, it, but in Paul's case, we see throughout this letter that it's accurate. That every single thing Paul does... He does as an echo of the truth of the gospel. You see, just as, just as Paul humbled himself and, and became nothing in this letter to Philemon, Christ, as our example, humbled himself in coming to earth, putting off his very self that he might save somebody who didn't deserve it. Right, it, it, it goes on. Paul, uh, Paul finds use for someone who was formerly useless. Isn't that such an echo of what Christ has done in our life? Right. We 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 see that 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 Paul not only finds use for the useless, but that but that he's in in, in chains for the gospel. And then this one's great. He he goes on to say, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that it wouldn't be forced. And then he goes on to say, but that instead that we would take what was a slave and make it a brother. What an accurate picture of what Christ, again, has done for us. He doesn't come to us and say, you know what, I'm God. 
do what I want. No. He says, I'm God. Do what you want. But if you'd like, I can take you from slavery and I can make you part of my family. I I think the words that Paul writes here, I I can't imagine he can't think back to the words he'd written previously in the book of Romans when, when he talked about how you were formerly slaves, but then you became adopted as sons of God. And then this is my favorite one. He goes on to say, you know, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. What an awesome example of Christ, of Paul, I'm sorry, seeing what Christ has done. Of saying, whatever debt you have, even a debt as large as sin, even a debt that deserves death, you know what? Charge it to me instead. Paul takes these principles that he's seen in who Christ is and he makes them a part of his life so much so that as he's writing a letter that has really nothing to do with anything except a simple request to fix a relationship. That the, that the awesome truth of the gospel just begins to seep out of everything he does because Paul is following Christ. He's not right hearing about it. He's not letting Christ just be a little bit of an influence in his life. In fact, I think he says it best. In the very first couple words of the book, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You know, this is a really simple letter. That simply Paul getting to know someone and asking another guy that he knows to practice a little forgiveness and to come back into fellowship. But when we look at how Paul addresses his influence, both, both the influence of the way he expects the world around him to change in, in, in regard to social topics. When we look at, at, at how Paul uses influence to teach those around him, and when we look at how Paul has influenced himself personally, we see that the one filter that it all goes through is the truth of the gospel of Christ. And that is the message we can take from this book. That everything we do, everything we have influence in, every thought or action should be seen in regards to who Christ is. And if we do that, then some awesome stuff happens. Now we don't know really the end of the story, at least not certainly. However, tradition tells us that the same Onesimus, who, uh, who was a slave, who met Paul and became saved, and who then had this letter written about him, went on to become one of the most influential bishops in the early church. Because Paul was influenced 
in everything that he did by the gospel. In fact, there's some who think the only reason this, this silly little letter to one individual basically asking for a nice favor was included in scripture. And that's because the, that, that Onesimus, and again, we don't, we don't know this for sure, but, but Christian tradition tells us this is a great possibility, that he was one of the people who began to collect the works of Paul and, 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 to, and to make them into what we know of today as, as our Bible. And, and if that's the case, can't you see him seeing the value in this letter? Of the letter that took him from being a slave to being a brother and to eventually working for Christ. That's how it works when we let the gospel of Christ influence everything that we do. Can we pray? And, and, and I just want to take a, a short, simple minute of, of prayer. And, and here's what I simply want. I want us to join together in a simple prayer of dedication to God. It says, you know what, God? If there's any influence that I have in this world that isn't being directed by the truth of who Christ is, change that. Help me to follow you so closely that I can look to others and say, follow me in the same way. Let's ask God to help us be a little bit more like Paul. Let's pray. God, you're pretty awesome. Thanks that even in a, in a kind of difficult book that, that addresses some sort of mundane things, that you can show us the truth of who you are and how you want to work in our life. Our prayer tonight is simple. Lord, help us be like Paul. Help us use the influence we have in our world and and in our closer circle of influence, our our friends, our families, and, and the very influence we have over ourselves. Let us submit every one of those things to your leadership And let us see them through the lens of the truth of your gospel. Change us tonight, God. We humbly pray it. In the only name that matters, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.